0: This morning, I'm so excited uh, to have my friend and our staff evangelist here preach the word. Can you give it up for the Micah McDonald?
1: Good morning, Zoe Church, um, Greg and Amber. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here and part of Zoe and. Um, Being here for the really fun dream things we get to celebrate and also the hard things that we all sometimes walk in. And so, uh, can we just honor our lead pastors, uh, Greg and Amber, this morning? We love you guys. Uh, Thank you for being our friends, for leading Zoe so well. Um, I'm going to get to the text here in just a little bit, but this is my first time preaching at Zoe in, I I don't, might have been a little eight months. Eight months is April, is what Greg said, something like that. And so I understand that there's a lot of new people here, and there's people here who uh, have no idea uh, who we are. So this is a picture of my wife, Steph. We've been married 11 years. We met at North Central University in downtown Minneapolis. And uh, yeah, you can give it up for Steph. She's the favored one, Uh, but that's how it always is. That's how it's supposed to be, too. Uh, But that's Steph. She's my wife there. And then this is uh, my little girl, Everly Dom. Uh, Okay, so grandma came over a week ago and introduced this thing called a curler, like the ones that grandmas use. Those ones, like not the tool, but like, you know, those curlers. Anybody remember those curlers? The foam ones, like the pink, blue, and foam curlers. Does anybody remember those ones? Okay, if you're a teenager and you have no idea what they are, just Google them. Try them. They're amazing, okay? So Grandma introduced him because we've been watching Shirley Temple in her house lately. And if you've never seen Shirley Temple, just Google that one too. But um, uh, this is what it turned out like. And she screamed. And so it's cute to you, but she was freaked out by how tight the curls were. So uh, she's a first grader at United Christian Academy in Bloomington. We live right here. And then this is a picture of my five-year-old little boy, Malachi. And uh, he's over in the kids' area. He's in pre-K right now. And so uh, that's our family. We get to travel the United States of America full time. In fact, uh, this coming week, tomorrow, I land in Oklahoma to preach to about 500 pastors and their wives. And then we take off to Canada, where we're speaking at the largest youth conference in all of Canada uh, and Toronto that will be there this weekend, and it starts the trek of literally all over the U.S., all over the world, and Zoe Church, you, are the church that sends us to go do that. Uh, We had, uh, once a year, we do this banquet. It's called a Mac Ministries Banquet. That's our ministry. Zoe supports us, and we got to celebrate With about 180 people that showed up, not this last Thursday, but the Thursday before that. And for everyone that didn't get to come to our banquet, I wanted to share with you some numbers that God did in the last year. If you could put up the slides. uh, These are ministry numbers over the last year of our travel. You can put up the next slide. We got to preach in over 21, uh, 21 different states around the United States is where we preached, east coast, west coast, north, south. We reached nearly over 2 million accounts online. Uh, We have a social media platform that we use to communicate really hard topics to the next generation. Um, If you want to get crucified, talk about hard things from a biblical perspective. Uh, But it reached 2 million accounts. This is really cool our ministry was able to see nearly $2.6 million given in pledges or offerings to support missionaries around the world. That's incredible. Uh, That isn't us taking in money into our nonprofit. That is us speaking and traveling and raising and being a middleman for missionaries, being a voice for them because they don't get to be here to help carry the cause of Christ around the world. And then uh, this last year, we also got to see 1,000 255 students who felt a call to full-time ministry pastors evangelists worship pastors kids pastors youth pastors and this is happening at camps that we get to do all across america and my favorite number that we get to celebrate next is this next number 3933 people gave their life to jesus around america this last year which is incredible it's so awesome and uh, you guys get to help send us. And if you're like, I don't recognize this young fellow. I never see him around. Yeah, because I'm not here. I'm out traveling and preaching. And so when we are here, it's a blessing. And uh, we have so many friends uh, and, and people that come around us to help send us to go and keep preaching the gospel. I uh, know what's really fun is getting to introduce a dream that God put in my heart three years ago, driving home from Iowa, and the dream was this was to use fashion as a way to communicate God's heart to the next generation. Uh, And not only that, but to use it as a tool to raise funds for missions. And so I'm excited to announce that today is the first time ever that we've ever brought our brand-new clothing line and launched it right here out of Zoe. It's called Everyone Everywhere. Uh, Who is the gospel for? Don't put it up yet. You already did. It's okay. (laughs) You have to ask the question. This is where it comes from. Who is the gospel for? It's for everyone. Where was the gospel meant to go? Everywhere. The problem is, is right now, not everyone everywhere knows the gospel. So when you buy everyone everywhere merch, you're literally helping reach everyone everywhere with the gospel. As our profits are going to reach the 42% who've never heard that God loves them. We started this as a growth engine Here are some designs. My wife's going to join me on stage. This is one of the shirts we have today. You can put up the next slide. Uh, That's the back of the shirt. In fact, Steph's wearing it today. Um, And then this is the next one. Uh, This is the hoodie that I'm wearing here. Really cool. I was at Wells Fargo Bank yesterday, and the teller goes, what's everyone everywhere? And I said, well, it's a clothing line that I started. And he goes, but what is it? What's everyone everywhere? And I said, God loves everyone everywhere. And this guy got a giant smile, and he goes, how do I buy some of that stuff? And I said, hey, just Google. Our shop will be up in a couple weeks. And it's so cool that when teenagers and young adults, and yes, even you, I designed this in mind for teenagers and young adults. But yes, you can get it too. Please do. But I designed this intentionally, not just to see people around the world reached, but that it would be the easiest conversation starter of all time to share the greatest news we could ever share with anyone, that God loves you them. And so uh, that's the sweatshirt. Here's uh, uh, the next slide. We got hats that are out there. This is one of the hats, the next hat you can put up. We got a red hat and the next hat is a blue hat coming up there. And then we have another t-shirt that's coming that is going to be launched at Minnesota Youth Convention for all the teenagers that is not here yet for you. I apologize. But I just wanted to invite my wife up as this isn't just something for me, but this is something we're doing. And so Steph, if you want to share our heart about the why on why we're even doing this.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're getting like we're hitting heavy missions this morning, but we also just came back from Project Forty Two, which also was just a just a catapult for us um, in launching into this idea of uh, doing a clothing line, and it's more than a clothing line for us. It was like, how can we steward something? What can we do in order to funnel more funds to the 1040 window? Forty-two percent of the world they don't have access, no Bible, no missionary, no Christian, not one person that would be in their life that could tell them about the name of Jesus. And uh, so, interesting fact, which you probably have heard if you've heard any anybody talk about missions, less than 1% of missions dollars go to the 1040 window, that 42% of the world. More than 99% of all missions dollars, which missions is important, near and far, no matter where it's at. But we just kind of want to swing the pendulum, kind of balance out the resources. And so, uh, it's been fun to see a dream come alive. Uh, like I said, it's more than a clothing line. This is a way for us to just say, okay, God, how can we partner with what you want to do across the world? and a funnel more dollars to reach people that do not know you yet. Yes. So
1: it's out in the lobby, and Zoe got it first. Can we give it up for that? Thank you, Steph, for sharing. If everyone could stand with me for the reading of God's Word today, you can open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 88. Psalm chapter 88 is where we're going to be today. I'm going to read it. It's an entirety, and then I'll give you the sermon title, and we'll hop right into today's message. Verse 1 Psalm 88 verse 1 says this. It says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I'm overwhelmed with troubles. My life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more who are cut off from your care. If anyone feels depressed, yeah, I know, it's depressing, okay? You have put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You've taken from me my closest friends. You've made me repulsive to them. It sounds a little bit like Job. I am confined and cannot escape, and my eyes are dim with grief. This person is seeing no I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? This question is the crux of the whole message today. Is your love declared in the grave? Really dark spot to be in. Is your love declared even in the grave? Is your faithfulness even found in destruction? I wonder if any of us have ever been there. That it's so bad And you're wondering if it can ever be redeemed. Is there any love in it? Is there any faithfulness? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? So not only does this person feel in the worst pain of their life, but what compounds that is they feel a rejection and an absence from God. From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors, and I am in despair. God, it blows my mind that you would allow an entire psalm that gives no praise and thanksgiving to you in your word. So, God, thank you for making space for really messy, hurtful situations that sometimes make us ask the question, is there even love or faithfulness in the middle of it? God, thank you that your voice comes through in all kinds of ways through your word. Help it to equip our church today. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You guys can have a seat. Isn't it funny how in life at one moment you can have the best experience ever in life and then in the same exact week literally find out some of the worst news that you could possibly... Isn't that weird about the spectrums of life? Kind of a funny story that happened in our own home that kind of illustrates this, is my son was running in the hall, he fell down, and immediately, because of the fall, he starts crying really loud. And naturally, as parents, when you hear your kid crying because they're suffering and in pain, what do you do? You run over to the child who's screaming. You run over to the child who's crying. So I'm not going to say which parent, but there was a parent in our house, either Steph or I, who ran over to pick up Malachi, who was crying, crying super loud. And in the middle of bending down to pick up, gas just blew out of the parent. And our son heard a parent fart really loud. And in the middle of crying he switches his cry and starts to die laughing because the parent just passed gas. And then once the parent picks up our son and starts holding our son, our son immediately starts crying again. And so it was this polar extreme of reactions for my little boy. In one moment, he's crying, and then his mother lets out a toot, And my son can't stop laughing at the sound of how loud it was. And then when he's being consoled by the parent, there's no use in saying that word anymore. When he's being consoled by the parent. At least I got off the couch, my God. For those in the back, she's like, at least I got off the couch. It's just so weird to me, though, (laughs) how you can literally go from crying your eyes out to laughing and then go back to crying your eyes out. But isn't that a lot like normal life? This last week, last Thursday, not this Thursday, but last Thursday before that was one of the greatest nights of our life. Celebrating with friends and family, celebrating what God did through our travels, and then the next day or two, whatever it was, we get some of the worst devastating news. And isn't that life sometimes of this polar opposite that sometimes some of the greatest joy can sometimes be followed up by the greatest pain? In my life, it has been a polar opposite of those kinds of things. I have watched my parents' divorce. I have watched affairs. I have watched drug abuse. I've watched alcohol abuse. I have watched an 8-year-old sister be diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. I have watched just a lot of things in a really short amount of time in my own life. Have you ever felt like what Psalm 88 writes about? Have you ever been in a place where it's destruction around you? And you're trying to figure out, is there even any faithfulness in the middle of destruction? Have you ever experienced losing a child? Have you ever been told you can't get pregnant? Have you ever walked through something where you just look at it and you ask the question, is there any love smack dab in the middle of this grave that I seem to find myself in? If Jesus could write a letter in response to Psalm 88, if Jesus could write a letter, In response to Psalm 88. Whenever you open your Bible and you read the Old Testament, you always have to read it through the lens of who Jesus is and the finished work of the cross. You always have to. When the writer of Psalm 88 is writing this, he has no context of Jesus. He has no context of his grace and his gospel. So whenever you read Psalms, always read it in light of what Jesus would say in response to their writings. So, if Jesus could write a letter in response to Psalm 88, here are three things that Jesus would say to you, to me, and to the writer of Psalm 88. Number one is this: is if you're taking notes, is I love and I desire your honesty. A lot of us, when we read Psalm 88, which, by the way, it is the darkest psalm in all of the Bible. Most psalms are a lot of them; they're poetry they use metaphor to explain what's going on on the inside of their heart and their life. They use words, they use figures of speech. And a lot of that is artistic work to describe on what's going on on the inside. And most Psalms will start with praise and they'll usually end with some sort of praise or thanksgiving. This is the only Psalm, one of the few Psalms that has no praise at the end of it. Have you ever found yourself in a spot where you never felt like giving God praise? Have you ever found yourself in a spot where you feel like the last thing you want to do is give them any thanks? I just want to say this Welcome to the club and the writers of scripture who felt the same exact way as you. But if Jesus could write a letter back to you where you're at right now, he would say, I love your honesty. I desire it. I love your honesty. And for you and I, when we read that, we're like, whoa, maybe a little too honest. Calm down. And then you read some other psalms about what they want to do to people with vengeance. You're like, whoa, maybe calm down a little bit. I just came to tell you, God wants all of your honesty. No matter how ugly it is, no matter how nasty it is, no matter how vengeance it sounds, whatever it is, God wants all of your honesty. All of it. It reminds me of a story of two girls who had this brother. And their life was impacted forever because they met someone named Jesus. They gave their lives to Christ and followed Jesus. But this brother ended up getting sick, really sick. So much so that they found out from a doctor's report that he had stage 4 cancer and he had only a couple months left to live. And his sisters found out about it. And rather than his sisters freaking out, his sisters full of faith because they know Jesus, they say, hey, we're going to keep praying for your healing. Hey, we've seen Jesus heal people. We know he can do it again. So day and night, these sisters start calling out to Jesus. Then he goes to the doctor and finds out he's got about a week left to live. The sisters don't get scourged. They're still full of faith. They keep believing for a healing. And then they come around the bedside because the doctor says, get all the family members He's probably going to die this week. So there are the sisters surrounding their brother's bedside. And then I don't know if you've ever been able to see this, but when you see someone take their final breath on the earth, it's hard to see. And these two sisters full of faith that Jesus can heal, watch their very brother die right in front of them. And know what they start to say to Jesus? If you would have been here, her brother wouldn't have died. If you would have shown up like we've seen you do for others, if you would have been on the scene, her brother wouldn't have died. You know what that is coming from those two women's hearts? Complete and total honesty. And you want to know their names? Mary and Martha, sisters of Lazarus. You know what I love about both of those ladies who are both hurting, which, by the way, their grief looked differently Martha had no problem going to Jesus. Mary decided to stay back. In other words, when you are caught in your grief, it's okay to process differently than your very own family member. But you want to know what God wants more than anything? Give them the hard honesty that's in your truth. Say it to them. And you want to know where your permission lies? The Bible. Because it's full of people who are giving their complete honesty in their confession. And the ones who didn't, died. Not fun. And the death might have been physical like Ananias and Sapphira, or it might have been a death that hurt a lot of people in the process. Know who I think we could really learn a lot from when it comes to being honest with God and with others is little kids because they have no filters some of the time. One of the things I love to do with my little buddy, my little boy Malachi is that bedtime. He goes, Dad, can you whisper in my ear? We do this whispering thing, and I just put my face right up next to his, and I just whisper things in his ear. So I'm in with Malachi. I'm in his bed. An honest moment comes out from Malachi. I'm tucking him in. He goes, Dad, can we whisper in each other's ear? Yeah, bud, no problem. Let's whisper. And he goes, Dad, I want to go to Toy Story Park. And I said, Bud, what do you want to do at Toy Story Park? Like, what do you want to do there? I'm whispering back. He said, I want to go to Toy Story Park. And I want to see Buzz. Buzz Lightyear. And I said, what do you want to tell Buzz, Bud? What do you want to say to him? And he whispers, I want to shoot Buzz. (laughs) He wants to shoot the guy wants to shoot him in a whisper. He's telling me this. I said, Bud, why do you want to go to Toy Story Park to shoot Buzz? He's one of the best guys ever. What do you want? What do you want to shoot him for? And he whispers back, because I like Bo Peep. <laughs> a little boy has a crush on Bo Peep. He wants to go to Toy Story Park to put a cap on Buzz. He wants to take him out wants to get the woman of his dreams. I don't know if he learned that from his dad. But man, I love the honesty of little kids, no matter how bad it sounds. You know who loves that kind of honesty? God does. And he's not scared by the ugliness of it. God won't heal what you and I aren't willing to reveal. And God has a hard time healing people who are still covering lies. But know what he loves to heal are people who are just confirming what he's already seen in the first place. And he's ready and waiting for your honest confession. What areas of your heart does he need to know about? What ugly pain are you still holding that it just feels amazing to just tell him how it is? Because God would write back to you and I and the psalm writer of Psalm 88 and say this, I love and desire your honesty. Not only would he write that, but number two, he would say this, I mourn and grieve with you. I mourn and I grieve with you. This is a person in Psalm 88 who has walked through tremendous pain. You want to know why some of the Psalms are so rich with resonating with our grief and our pain? Because a lot of the writers are writing because their homes have been desolated, they've been murdered, and they're in a foreign country where they've been exiled as a people group. And they're writing from a place of extreme pain. So you want to know why the Psalms minister so deeply to us? Because they're writing from the same deep pain you and I often walk through. And this psalm writer very well may have written from a place of watching his friends die, watching his friends backstab, maybe even a life similar to Job, extreme pain. But know what Jesus would say to this psalm writer if he could? Is I will mourn and I will grieve with you. And a lot of us expect a genie Jesus where he just appears and now we feel no more pain. But what if he's the kind of savior who will sit And grieve and mourn with you in your loss. You know what I find really interesting? When Jesus showed up to two sisters who were extremely honest with him. If you would have been here, a brother wouldn't have died. You know what I find really interesting? Is when Jesus goes with Mary to go see the grave site. He finds a bunch of people who are weeping. And when Jewish people would have funerals. They would stay for a minimum of seven days, and they would wail, they would mourn, they would weep. It became a long cry fest. And know what Jesus does when he shows up on the scene? He doesn't become a genie, Jesus, and says, just stop crying. Here, boom, your pain is now gone. Know what he decides to do? He decides to weep and mourn with them. He didn't give them a sermon He didn't give them a reel or an Instagram or a YouTube or TikTok clip that would give them the motivation to overcome their pain. Jesus just showed up and started weeping with those who were weeping too. I don't know if you've ever been in a Psalm 88 moment, but oftentimes it's not people's words that heal you. Oftentimes it's the people that will show up and cry with you. And there Jesus is the Savior of the world. With a meek and humble entrance he came and a meek and humble entrance he left. That even while ministering to the most broken of people, he found a stop and weep with them too. If you've ever wept, if you've ever found yourself in grief, just know you're not alone in it. But you have a Savior who can empathize with every loss and every grief, which after all, Jesus lost a really good friend in Lazarus He was fully man who felt every human emotion, and yet fully God. Yet what's beautiful in this passage is the humanity of Jesus that shines through, that gives us a hope for the temporal hurting world we find ourselves in. Just know, if you've ever cried as a result of pain, there is no tear that is wasted. But there is only an ever-present loving Savior named Jesus who gives His Holy Spirit to mourn and weep with you too. I have lost a dad to a motorcycle accident. I have lost people to suicide. I have watched death surround my life. And yet what seems to comfort the most is knowing there's a present God who ministers to the contrite and broken hearts, that there is a God who draws near to the brokenhearted and yet finds a way to console even in the deepest pain. So if Jesus could write a letter in response to the writer of Psalm 88, he would say, thank you for your honesty. Just know I'm mourning and I'm grieving with you too. And it's why when you read the prophet section, there's a whole section in there about a restored people, about a restored land, about how there'd be someone named a Messiah who would come and set all things straight. So if Jesus could write a letter back, I think both of those things found in John 11 would be serving as an example to the writer of Psalm 88, which leads me to my third and final point today. If Jesus could respond back to a letter, he would say this, that my love was declared the loudest in the grave. Psalm 88 verse 11 asks a question that I think a lot of people ask. I think this is a gut level honest question let me put it in your context is your love declared in the divorce is your love declared in the loss of a child is your love declared in my son who comes to me saying he wants to be a woman is your love declared in a spot where deceptions ruin my whole life is your love declared in the person i thought i could trust the most who literally has been lying to me the whole time? Is your love declared in the spot where I thought it was going to be this, but it's not? Is your love declared in the mental health problem that I keep finding myself? Is your faithfulness even found through all the sin that I've committed? Is your love and even faithfulness found through the worst mistakes of my life that it found there? And I think if Jesus could write a letter in response to those kinds of questions... He would say, my love was declared the loudest in the grave. When Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, he had been found dead for four days. Four days lying in a grave. Mary and Martha wondering, can love proceed from a dead brother? Can the faithfulness of God be found in the death of a brother who died early? Can anything good come from this? And I think if Jesus could write a letter back, he would talk about an instance where he came to a tombstone. And he looked at some people and said, remove the stone of the entrance of Lazarus's tomb. And then it says in John eleven forty three 43, that Jesus yelled, that Jesus said in a loud voice, a loud voice. Something loud coming from the mouth of Jesus, something loud protruding from the Savior of the world, a guy who is mourning with those who are mourning, a guy who is weeping with those who are weeping, and then he yells out, Lazarus, come out. In that moment, it was love that reached a dead man. In that moment, it was love that spoke to something dead and seen it come to life is the power and the love of jesus that he would speak to dead things that in your graves that in your areas of asking the same questions that that same voice would be found saying my love was declared the loudest in the grave and then the story of lazarus wouldn't you know it would be a parallel to a week or two later where jesus himself would be found in a grave And wouldn't it be just like God, that the love of God for the love of the whole world, that we would not serve a dead savior in a grave, but God the Father would resurrect his son through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that kind of love was declared the loudest in the grave. We can give it up for that, y'all. That's some good news for every single person in the place. Which leads me which leads me to our big so what this whole morning, which is this, is the grave couldn't hold me, talking about Jesus, which means the grave can't hold you. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives inside of us. We don't have to stay old anymore. We can come honestly, humbly. We can come knowing that we start from His resurrection power. Jesus says in John 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And if He could put a final stamp in Psalm 88, He would say, the grave couldn't hold me, which means the grave will never be able to hold you. Death is not final. Sin is not final. Deception is not final. Affair The divorce is not final. We serve a living God that says, rise up, people of God. Come to me. Rise up. Let me feel you. But everyone in the room stand with me as we worship God this morning. Come on.
0: who you are, and there is life in you, and whatever f- situations we're facing, whatever things we're walking in the doors with God, we know you are a God who is near the brokenhearted. As Micah shared, you walk with us, you mourn with us, so for every person right now that is sensing the heaviness, the walking through difficult circumstances, God, I pray that they would be reminded of the hope of Christ that you are with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us, Father. God, you have invited us to experience your resurrection power to walk in your life that's available to you. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for that. God, I pray for the person who's been just feeling hopeless. May they be reminded that there is hope in Jesus again. God, where the flame has gone out, God, I pray you would spark a flame again today to be reminded that in every circumstance you are good. You are good, God.